I want to go ahead and say what I tell Pastor Bob every time he invites me here. Remember, you're inviting a country preacher. I want to prepare all of you for it too. And there'll be words you might not even know the definition of. Don't bother to look them up. Just seek a country friend of yours and maybe do some work in that way. It's a joy to be with the Inskis again. Oh, how the prayers we've lifted for you, especially in your times of, of separation from one another. Ooh, do they need healing in their hearts to be still. What an appropriate word for you. And don't run to all the churches, but let your heart be still for a little while here um, so that you can experience that work of God in healing. I do love Pastor Bob. I, I'll be honest about it. I, I, me and him are like that right there. We're opposites of each other. We went to the same school, but he is dignified and reserved and brilliant. And I'm me. And how in the world those two work together, he doesn't know and I don't know. But he's such a refreshment to me and he's helped me so much along the way. And I hope I've been a little bit of an encouragement. He, he and Rachel have been such good friends. We traveled some together and had fellowship together. But I'm not here today because of our friendship. He prayed and asked God who was to fill the pulpit this morning in his absence. And I believe I have a word from God for this morning and for the Friendship Church. And I'm so glad to see all of you. My history goes back to hearing Gene Payne, a history of friendship, goes back to hearing Gene Payne sing in the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. And, uh, and then my pastor, Joe Myers, in Kernersville, where I was called to preach, uh, said to me when I moved to Dunn, the first place you need to go is to Raleigh, sit down with Gene Payne. And so I did. And when I came here, we were down that hallway in the old building and uh, in his office. By the way, it was like an act of Congress to get to see him in those days. This church protected him so much because of issues of the past and things. And, and so when I came to see him, I don't remember everything he said to me as a 24-year-old boy 40 years ago, but here's what I do remember. He said, Tom, live in the Bible and visit other books. He said, live in the Bible and visit other books. What a good word of counsel for a young preacher, and I am... So honored to be here today where my friend, Pastor Bob, ably fills this pulpit uh, with power Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I want you to go with me to the 85th Psalm. And what's interesting, though, we read this morning of the lamentation of that uh, captivity. I want to I go to the happy side of it. I want to talk about when they got out of captivity, a prayer that they prayed for revival. I'll tell you, the heart of this church beats the same as my heart beats and the church that God privileged us to lead for all those years. And that is that God would come in power and visit his people and move in the community and move all around us so that the fire would spread to church after church after church. And the, the work that you're doing and all the preparation, um, uh, those of you that are working and volunteering in the Vacation Bible School, is such an important moment. God began to move this year on the campus of uh, Asbury College early in the year. Some awesome things began to happen. I went there and experienced some of that. And I know there's some controversy. We won't talk of that. I'll just tell you some of what I saw was the real thing. And God was moving there. And not only then, but other college campuses into churches and communities. I'm on a prayer line in the mornings at 9 o'clock uh, with an old man of God, 98 years of age, up in the mountains of North Carolina in Graham County up around uh, Marble. We were praying during that same time, and he would share of how revival had broken out at Mount Carmel and Ebenezer and Deep Gap Church. You know those big mega churches up in the mountains. 
And he said those churches, one of them in particular, had 25 one Sunday. And God began to move, and it was packed out with 80 people present the following week, people coming to faith in Christ. How do you explain that, Brother Tom? The only explanation is that God Almighty was moving in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And what we cannot do, and I agree that this world is in a mess, but what we cannot do, get ready, here's a good place for an amen. God can do, amen. Do you believe that? I want to tell you in this moment, I, I was thinking of, uh, of, of a friend of mine. I, I read something he said on social media that encouraged my heart. Uh, we just had a great week of camp, up a couple of weeks of camp in Ohio in a camp we were in, and 143 young people professed faith in Jesus Christ. It was a, an amazing two weeks to see the Lord move. Beyond that, I was thinking about uh, what my friend said. Shane Pruitt is his name. He said, I've been preaching in youth camps for now uh, 15 or more years. He said, usually we can pretty much count on approximately 10% of those who attend camp coming to faith in Jesus if the youth ministers are still bringing lost kids. But he said, this year we've averaged 20 to 30% of those coming to faith in Christ. Now that stirs me up and encourages me to know that God is still at work. These vacation Bible schools are the camps that young people in your community are going to have an opportunity to come. And what we must pray is this that the Spirit of God would bless every teacher and every leader and every memory work uh, volunteer and that all of us would be filled with God so that we could see God do something awesome in the lives of some families. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful to be in your house. Thank you for the sweet Bible study hour and the good work that was done in the class that I attended. And each one of these classes, thank you for men and women who are called to teach. And Lord, I, I want to do what you call me to do this morning and share this truth that you've given me for this hour. And I pray, God, you would uh, allow the people to mix faith with this truth and that they would take what has been preached week after week and what has been prayed in those early morning hours with those men on Thursdays and those gatherings, Lord, of crying out to you for an outpouring of the Spirit and that you, O oh Lord, would choose in these days to come and move in this place and in other places, according to thy holy and righteous will. Lord, we welcome you and your spirit to work in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. In January 2021, between January and May of 2021, the Long Hollow Church in, in Tennessee baptized 1,200 people. Think of that. 1,200 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ from January to May. How do you explain that? Well, some would immediately explain it away of, of some kind of easy believism or, uh, or some emotional move. But I want to tell you, God is still able to work. And He was surely working at the Long Hollow Baptist Church in those days. I could take you to the church I'm going to stand and preach in next Sunday in Willow Park, Texas, where over 200 people have followed the Lord in baptism after repentance so far this year. And I want, I want you to know, church, that we are still standing in a dark moment, yes, but in a moment where God Almighty is still on the throne and able to do His work. In this text, when we open up uh, Psalm 85, we remember that it is upon the return of Jacob from Babylonian captivity. This is the other side of what we heard in the pastoral prayer and challenge this morning. This unnamed psalmist, pins 
These words, songs, if you will. Uh, A theologian by the name of Rotherham said, he sees in this text, and there's a good possibility, that uh, the Psalms, of course, were written for the singers and the choirs. He sees two choirs and a soloist. Let's see if we can see them this morning as we look not only to what God is saying to His people then. Let's look to see what God is saying to His people now and right here. I I remember reading of the story of the Hebronese Islands revival that happened when two little saints of God, Peggy and Christine Smith, one bent so far she couldn't look up and the other completely blind. Whether anybody else heard the request of prayer for their uh, island, uh, the island of Lewis, I'm not sure whether anybody else heard it. Every church on that island made the same declaration, a call to prayer and a call to revival because there were no young people coming to church anymore. There was no, no life in the congregation. There was no hope of the future. I don't know if anybody else heard that prayer, but I know those two little old ladies heard it. They began to pray, two sisters living together. And they began to pray day after day. And one morning, they felt as if God had spoken to them. And they began to clap their little hands. And they called their pastor. And because of his great confidence in them and their prayers, he rushed to their home. And they prayed together again. And he was assured that God was moving toward answering that prayer. And he looked at them and he said, what should we do? And they said, we need to pray who God would bring here to preach our a revival that when God is going to move on our island. And they decided to call Duncan Campbell. You've heard this story, I'm sure, many times. They called him on the phone and when they called him, he said, I'm sorry, I'm completely booked and I cannot come. And when they hung up the phone, the moment he hung up the phone, he got a phone call. This is all documented fact. And the phone call was the, was the uh, cancellation of the meeting he was to go to for two weeks. So he called and said, I'll come. He went to the island, to the Hebronese Islands, now Fiji, for two weeks. And he stayed for two years. Because the Spirit of God settled in on that place. And God began to move there throughout that region. And great revival was had. And 100,000 or more people came to faith in Jesus Christ. What a great story. But the story doesn't end there. I was reading the other day and I found out one more thing before I get in the text. I found out that his name, nobody hardly knew who Duncan Campbell was until after God moved in that revival. Then everybody knew who it was. He got invited to this big conference and imagine this. He goes to the conference to speak and he's sitting in that large conference and he feels the drawing of God to go to an island, uh, uh, to go to a little place called uh, Bernaray. Uh, imagine that, the island of Bernaray. You can read about this. He uh, was sitting on that platform about to speak, and he felt a drawing. And so he would preach, and then he went to the leaders of the conference. He was supposed to preach multiple more times. He went to the leaders of the conference, and he said, Look, I need to go. I don't need to finish my, my responsibility here. And they didn't like it very much at all that he was leaving the conference. People had come because he was there to speak. He said, I must go. God has led me to the, to the island of, of Bernaray. So the decision was made. And he flew to Glasgow, Scotland, took another plane and a ferry to a small island. Only 500 people on, inhabitants on that island. He asked about pastors. They said, though there are two churches, we have no pastors at this point. The island was in trouble. He said, how about an elder? And they said, well, you can go over to that house. And when he got to the house, nobody was there, uh, not the elder or his family, but uh, a servant was there. And they said, well, actually, he was expecting you. Nobody had contacted anybody. He was expecting you. You're to have a, 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 
place to lodge with his brother. And there's been a meeting scheduled for 9 o'clock this evening. Imagine that. I mean, we're so far removed from those kind of moments where God can speak. I love what she's saying. Did you hear that? Will we quiet our hearts to hear what God has to say? And often he speaks. And what we see happening that night, nothing unusual happened in the service. As they were leaving, they're walking. I can imagine them walking down the hillside. And Hector McKinnon, this is all documented, was a postman and one of the elders. And he fell on his knees and he said, God has come. And the people began to kneel and pray. It was after midnight. And they were crying out to God and they stayed there till four in the morning. Revival would ensue and many would be converted and and the island would be transformed. Oh, what a... I, I don't know if you still dream your dreams. I don't know if you still believe that God is able to do that. I, I don't know if you've discounted And because of the vileness of our land, we think it can't happen. And I don't know what will happen nationally, even though they're praying here a national prayer revival. But I know what can happen in your heart. And I know what can happen in your family. And I know what can happen in your church. And I know what can happen in your school. Let's look at it. I want you to notice, first of all, in chapter 85. In fact, let's read a few of these verses. Listen carefully as I read aloud. Psalm 85, verse 1. Lord... Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Can I stop for a moment and just say, number one, can you imagine the first choir singing, number one, if you're writing down notes, singing a song of rejoicing, They're rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Number one, they've received God's favor. God has brought them out of captivity. The the majority of the Jews remained there. They allowed Babylon to get into them. But these that had returned, the remnant that had returned, they were rejoicing because they've experienced God's favor. Number two, notice the second thing in verse two. They've not only experienced God's favor in verse one, they've been given God's forgiveness. They've been forgiven for their iniquity. They've been forgiven for their idolatry. And then thirdly, they're not only rejoicing over being blessed with God's favor and God's forgiveness, but they're also rejoicing as they sing this song, the first few verses, the first three verses. They've also avoided God's fury. His wrath has been removed. God is no longer angry toward his people. His wrath has been removed. I have to stop here for a moment and make a quick application. I don't know if there's anybody else in this room but me that can say not only has this happened to Israel, but I'm glad today, listen to this, that I've received the favor of God. God has been good to me and he brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock to stay. I'm not the same as I used to be. I grew up in a little town, you might be, you might be familiar with it, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you don't know anything about, you and I are, if you don't know anything about the economy of Winston-Salem, think about it. Winston's, <coughs> Salem's. R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company ran that town. If you didn't work there, you worked with an affiliate company more than likely. I grew up there in the home of a man that drank himself literally to death. When I was 10 years of age, my mother, a believer that came to faith in Jesus Christ, would later attend the Urban Street Church where Billy Martin would, uh, would pastor and preach. 
Listen to me very carefully. But as a little boy, I had a choice to make. Go the way of my daddy or go the way of my mom and the way of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, I can rejoice today because I've experienced the favor of God. And not only that, I've experienced God's forgiveness. Anybody else in this room been forgiven? Are you glad that your sins are blotted out and removed? We've been given God's favor. We've been given God's forgiveness just like Israel. Number three, listen to this. We've avoided God's fury. The wrath of God, listen, was all placed on Jesus as he hung on that cross that day. And if you're here in this room and you've never experienced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life has not been changed by Jesus taking your place. In Sunday school this morning, my teacher, he pointed out the gospel. May I give you the gospel in four little words? Jesus took my place. Jesus took your place. Is anybody glad of that? If so, will you say amen one time? I want to tell you, I have avoided, you have avoided God's fury. Don't you love that verse in 1 Corinthians where it says that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? He took all my sin on him, and that's not even the best part of it. Then he put all his righteousness on me. I don't understand that, but I sure am grateful for what God has done. Do you hear that choir singing? The first song of rejoicing. And can we sing? You know, I love that song. Then sings my soul. Can we sing from our soul right now, Lord? Thank you for helping us. Thank you for giving us. uh, Thank you. We can rejoice, God, for your favor and your forgiveness and avoiding your fury. I can hear that choir sing. But then we see in verse 4, not only do we see the rejoicing. But then I I notice the request. Notice here in the the second choir, singing a song of request. Turn us, O God of our salvation. You see, even the remnant that returned knew that we need to turn to God and see His face. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Wilt thou not Revive us again, Lord. Turn us. Revive us that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Do you hear the choir singing songs of of, uh, request? Is it your request this morning that God would look deep into your heart and your life? You see, sometimes we think if we have a King James Bible and we go to a good church like this one, and we sing the songs of Zion, and we put on our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes somehow or another. We have some righteousness, but I want to tell you that every good thing that's ever happened in my life has been because of Him. And only righteousness I can muster is self-righteousness. That every good thing about me is Christ and Christ alone. And I must seek His face every day because I, though I'm saved, I'm still a sinner. And Here's a news flash for you. So are you. And I want to challenge us this morning to keep short accounts with God. Do a deep work of searching our hearts. Even this week, I was praying one morning. Happened to be down at the White Lake. We have a little bitty place at White Lake. And we were there cleaning it up for somebody to come and and visit. And I was praying and the Holy Spirit came to my heart with someone I had not forgiven And reminded me of my wicked heart. 
And he does that almost on a daily basis, if not every day. D.L. Moody, I was reading a sermon by him this week, and he said it was on repentance. And he said, never, he said, never does a sun rise and set when D.L. Moody doesn't have something to bring to God for repentance. You know what the Bible says? That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And before you think you've got everything caught up, listen to the last part. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, sometimes we don't even know our own hearts. Can you sing not only the song of rejoicing this morning, but can you sing, secondly, the song of request? Lord, turn us, turn me. Forgive us, revive us, show us. That theologian, Mr. Rotherham, wrote, and somebody wrote it down. I've never read after him, but I've read his quotes. That now... You would think it would be time for the choir to join a big crescendo, kind of a a big combine, those two choirs, but that's not what happens. Now, a single voice pierces the air. Look at verse 8, and we see thirdly, listen to this, the the reply. The solo of reply. Listen to this reply after we've talked of his favor and we sang of a request. These are what I want to preach to you this morning. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I've been hearing this in the song song. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I will hear. Can you imagine being there and there's two big choirs, one is sung and then another, and then all of a sudden it gets quiet? And in the middle of that moment, one single voice decides to sing this song. I will hear what God, the Lord, will speak. Oh, we must quiet. I'm so grateful for that song. We must quiet our hearts and our spirits before God to listen to His voice. Somebody said, why would you leave a growing church, a flourishing church where they loved you. You could have stayed there until they turned your toes up. Pastor, why would you leave? Because God spoke. It was time. And He spoke. Why would you return to a mission field challenged with war? Because God has spoken. Why? When God speaks, we must respond, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I'm listening to that soloist now. I will hear. Listen to the next part. For he will speak peace unto his people. I like the next part. I underlined it. And to his saints. If he just said to his people, we know he spoke to Israel. But I like that he put us in there, don't you? And to his saints. And let them not return again to folly. Well, what folly? What folly, Brother Tom? Well, the folly of our sin, yes. But more specifically, we're talking about peace here. What's the opposite of peace? How about foolishness of fear? What about doubt? What about unbelief? When we wring our hands with fear, when God is still in control. He said, we don't have to fear, though the world is falling apart around us. Though there's sin on every hand, there should be a bastion of hope 
and faith and joy in this place. So when sinners walk in on Sunday, they sense an atmosphere of victory in this house because we serve the King and we bow before Him and worship His holy and righteous name. Oh, the, the, the song of reply. Number one, I will hear you, God. That's what I hear Him saying. Lord, I will hear you. Song of peace. I hear that soloist sing a second part. Look at the next part. I love the little word surely in verse 9. I see faith in that verse. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. Surely, (laughs) surely. I'm a faith preacher. I, I believe in the principles of faith. And so do you. That when God speaks, we then have the capacity to believe his word. And join faith to what God said. This happened when you got saved. You saw the truth of the gospel. You joined him in faith. And salvation was the result. I'm going to tell you that's just the beginning of the faith life. Faith is when God speaks. And by the way, he never speaks outside the capacity of his word. Ever, ever, ever. You can always measure whether God is speaking by his word as the plumb line. But when God speaks... You and I must join him in faith and believe it. And my hero in faith, Manly Beasley, said this. Faith is saying that it's so. Before it's so. In order for it to be so. Because God said it was so. It all goes back to God saying it. I'm going to say that one more time because two or three faith people in the room are writing that down. God said, no, that's not where it starts. That's where it ends, but that's really where it starts. Listen to this. It's saying that it's so. Faith is saying that it's so before it's so in order for it to be so because God said it was so. Oh, yes. Surely his salvation, his deliverance is nigh to them that fear him. If anybody knew this was true, they all should be seeing it. They've been delivered from captivity. But this single soloist is singing, I believe, Single voice, surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him. Not just me, all of us. And then he said finally, not only I will hear you, God. Listen to this reply. I will believe you, God, surely. But I, I will also see your glory. Look at what he said. That glory may dwell in our land. To my Sunday school teacher and members of the class that meets over here on this side, we talked a little this morning about glory. You know how hard it is for a preacher to keep his mouth shut in a Sunday school class? It's like terrible. It's awfully hard. But I did it. But I want to tell you what this is. This is what your church has been praying for. Glory dwelling in the land. It means settling down in the land. I'm talking about the glory of God. May I run a quick trail on the glory of God? Because it's the passion of this church. It's the passion of my buddy, Dr. Bob. It's the passion of this staff. It's the passion of you believers that are here. Listen to me. The glory of God dwelling in the land. What would that look like? Well, it would look like this. The essential presence of God in all of His splendor as He reveals Himself to man. When you read through the Scriptures, you find those moments when God shows up 
You say, well, he's here. I know he's here. I'm talking about his manifested presence. The beauty of his holiness. I'm talking about hot tears running down the faces of the saints at the thought of the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm talking about the songs of Zion being sung at a higher pitch and with greater joy than ever before. You know what happened when the revivals broke out in Wales? The singing was beyond what anybody could ever imagine. I'm talking about people walking down the aisles again like we used to see years ago, running down the aisles to Jesus. I'm talking about baptizing converts every single Sunday. You say, Pastor, do you believe that's still possible? As long as he's still God, it's still possible. That glory dwelling in the land. And not just coming for a sweet moment and passing. He said, Lord, dwell with us. Dwell with us. Oh, I came across a sweet verse the other day in John 14 where Jesus said that they all may be one. Uh, he, he, he said uh, something about the Father and Jesus coming. I can't recall it right this minute. Making his abode with us. Oh, that thought of a little heaven on earth, that's what the glory is. It's the presence of God. It's the revealed presence of God. You remember. You remember that morning in your prayer time when he got real near to you and you felt like he was right beside you. You recall that moment when your pastor was preaching and it seems as if he was sitting with you on the pew. You got a glimpse of God in a greater way than before or at the family altar or at camp or at vacation Bible school. Lord, Dwell with us. Did you hear the reply? Now remember where they are. I'm almost done. Stay with me. They're standing there among the ruins, Pastor. They're standing among the ruins of the once great temple. Seventy years have passed. The broken down wall as far as you can see. Undergrowth. Times were hard like they are right now for us. And they're standing in the middle of that. The choirs are singing. And then the, the voice, the singular voice. I will hear. I will hear you, God, and peace will come. I will believe you. Surely, I will see you and your glory. Now, here's the hard question for every believer in this room. And I want you to answer it honestly. You're going to be like the choirs that sang the rejoicing song or the requesting song. We've done a lot of that. Or will you be like this one guy or one gal who lifts your voice in faith to say, I will hear. I will believe. I will see the glory of God in my life, in our home, in our church. Well, let me close with the refrain. Now, here's the way Mr. Rotherham thought it was going to go, and who knows? He don't. Sure, I can imagine all this in my, my little head. I just know what the Bible says. But watch this part. Let's notice the refrain. Look at your Bibles. The Bible says in verse 10, mercy and truth. These are some of the sweetest verses in all the Psalms. Mercy and truth are met together. We talked about the mercy of God this morning. 
Oh, they're met together. Look at this. Righteousness, I kind of see God in that. He's the only righteous one. And peace that we now have received when he moves in power and revival comes. They kiss each other. Righteousness and peace have met together and kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. You talk about preaching. When revival comes, they'll be preaching like you can't imagine. They'll be teaching beyond beyond what we've ever seen before, shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Oh, that's why we want revival. Not for us, but for God to look down and, and see righteousness looking down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Things will change in the land at the goodness of God. Righteousness shall go before Him and set us in the way of his steps. Saints, you have faith to believe God will do in your life what he said he would do. Some of you do. I want to enlist you as a part of this mighty band called Friendship Church to continue crying out for and laying hold on the promises of God. On Thursdays, we pray with preachers, pastors in the area. Your pastor leads it. We link, we link up by Zoom. By that time, he's already linked up with many of you men who meet him in that 6 o'clock hour. Wouldn't it be awesome when he returns from his little time away for refreshment if double the men were to join that Zoom call? And what if a woman's Zoom call assumed? What if someone took the initiative to say, can we pray for revival? And what if families today at the table began to cry out to God with faith, believing that God has power and He loves this city, and He does. He wants to redeem it in revival. Let me close with a little story. Y'all have heard and know the name John Rawlings. Dr. John, before he died, I had an opportunity of spending a good amount of time with him, and he would tell stories, and I love the stories of the old men. Now I'm becoming the one telling the stories. But Dr. Rawlings told the story when he was a little boy growing up in Texas. He said we had a buckboard and a mule drawn or a wagon, and Daddy would cut down big logs, and we would deliver them to different farms. And he said one day, he said, Johnny, you want to ride with me? He said, yes, Daddy, I do. And he said, I jumped up on that. And off we went down those muddy ruts to the farm. And it would take a long time to get there. He said, I remember as a little boy thinking, we're never going to get there. He said, when we did, Dad started unloading those logs. And by the time we were finishing up, the sun was setting. And he said, as we started back home, it got dark, very dark. And I said, Daddy, it's dark. How are we going to get home? He said, his daddy said, son, don't you worry about that. He said, those mules know the way home. He said, we were riding. He said, it got dark late and I got sleepy. I fell asleep on my daddy's lap. He put his hand gently on me. He said, and then it appeared hours later, he said, all I remember is I woke up to the loud braying and rearing up of those old mules just loudly and he said I frightened me out of my sleep and I said daddy what's wrong daddy what's wrong he said oh John don't you worry he said those old mules just smell home 
Can I say something to you this morning? Look at me. I smell home. I don't believe we're long for this world. So what we're doing tonight is pretty important. And next month, when we have that little retreat down at Lake Waccamaw with the teachers and the staff and families, church family, will you pray that the hand of God would rest on that meeting and the presence of God would be so real that it would propel our ministry year. Oh God, we will hear. We will believe. We will see your glory. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, I thank you for the capacity you've given every believer to have faith in you and to trust you. And Lord, I trust you. You said it over and over again in your word. And Lord, there's that verse that Pastor Bob and I love so well where you said about the Spirit. Oh God, you said that you would send the Holy Spirit to them that ask you. Oh Father, thank you. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Lord, today we're asking, and we're asking in faith. And God, if there's a person in this room that you're drawing to your bleeding side to come to you and accept your gift of salvation, may they walk down this aisle and give their hand to this pastor while giving their heart to you. And Lord, are there believers that have gotten a little cold on you that need to come and kneel or stand or sit on the front benches and publicly declare before their fellowship that they'll be that one voice. Thy will be done, this invitation, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. I love you, Lord. We love you. Come, Lord. Come. Amen.